welcome back to another ESL podcast. I'm your host, Arsenio, as usual. Today, we're getting into a new segment, baby. Expanse. Guys, we have a lot of things to talk about. It's not so much about urbanization, but we're going to talk about globalization now. Boy, because there are so many things happening out there in terms of this pandemic. There are lots of things to be discussed. And before I even begin, I want you guys to know that we no longer have to use that little speaker. I can literally use the audio. I can share my computer sound with you guys. Didn't even know that on Zoom until somebody at my work said, hey, can you show me how to share sound? I'm like, what? You could do that? And I figured it out and I said, oh my God, a life has been a change forever. So that's going to be much easier because now the Bluetooth, it, you're not going to hear some broken, you know, some audio anymore. You're going to hear some good stuff. So anyways, who cares? Other than that, let's get right into this. So what we have here, okay, is a number of different things. First, we need to talk about an infographic. Now, in this infographic, you guys probably and will not see it, but it says here, if the world were a village of 100 people, 14 people would live between South America, Central America, and North America. 14. If the village, I'm sorry, if the world were a village of 100 people, there would be only 14 in the Western Hemisphere, 11 in Europe, 15 in Africa, 60 in Asia. So what does that mean? Well, we have to break this down, okay? 50 men, 50 women, 54 live in a city, 46 live in rural areas. Um, 90 men, we're gonna get, we're gonna dive into this, okay? 90 men and 82 women can read and write. 10 men and 18 women can't read and write. Another one in terms of uh, uh, education, secondary education, 66 men and 63 women have a secondary education out of 100 people, right? 34 men and 37 women don't have a secondary education. In terms of food, 21 people are overweight, 63 people are healthy, 15 people are undernourished, one person doesn't have enough food. Now, I'm going to talk about money now. 15 people make less than $2 a day out of 100 people. 56 people make between $2 and $10 a day. 13 people make between $10 and $20 a day. 15 people make between $20 and $90 a day. And then you have one person makes more than $90 a day. One person controls 50% of the money in the village. Now, for some of you who are probably listening to this or will listen to this in the future, you're probably saying, oh my God, that's my country. Now, hopefully this isn't happening everywhere, but just think about it, these statistics. It goes to show you that if the world were a village of 100 people, it would be shocking in terms of food, in terms of education, in terms of reading and writing, and especially in terms of making money. To be honest with you, I think, I forgot what the percentage is, but there is a massive, more than 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day. That was the statistic that was held in one of the consensus online. I forgot what it was. 50% of the world makes less than $2 a day. Think about that. There have been people complaining. People out there in America literally are running to the unemployment like lines going crazy, but they have no idea that they're the top 10% right now malnourished people in Sudan 
in Chad. They are literally dying of starvation right now. Lack of crops, lack of water, lack of everything. This pandemic, I wouldn't say it's a pandemic. It's not the, uh, the coronavirus that's lethal. It's the fact that we're reacting to it in a very lethal way, which has just completely destroyed the world economy. But if we look at this, out of 100 people, we want, only one person makes more than $90 a day. Does that make sense? Think about it. A lot of people have said, I think, what is it? What is it? The top 1% of the world uh, owns 98% of the money, something like that. The Steve Jobs, the, 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 well, not Steve Jobs anymore. Uh, the Gates, um, I hate saying his name. Uh, who, who's the other guy? Jeff Bezos, you know, uh, Tim Cook, Apple. They own a lot, but not only that, but royal families, okay? Royal families around the world, they own, uh, I'm telling you, they have an even greater share. One trillion is nothing to them. They probably have tens of trillions of dollars, some of these royal families. I'm talking about Brunei and other places. So guys, in saying that, I don't know. It's something that you can think about. But what I want to show you guys a little bit about and what we're going to listen and what we're going to listen to is a video about the population in Cairo, the economic growth, you know, Egypt, overpopulation, financial centers, lots of different things. But first, we must listen to this and see what's happening. So guys, if the audio is loud, make sure that you, uh, what is it? We're just gonna have to wait and see. But hey, this is a great way of listening to these now. So let's get into it. A normal day in the Egyptian capital, Cairo, already one of the 20 most populous cities in the world, a recent report published by market research company Euromonitor International estimates that Cairo's population will grow by as much as 500,000 over the coming year, an increase that will undoubtedly place immense pressure on the already struggling economy. Greater Cairo is currently home to some 22.8 million people. That represents around a quarter of Egypt's 92 million population. Severe poverty in southern Egypt leads many families to have several children in the hope that they will provide a much needed source of income. But many eventually migrate to larger cities looking for jobs and a better life. Sounds like Thailand. Mesa Shawkey, Deputy Minister for Population Affairs, underlines the thinking behind a recent series of awareness campaigns at schools and universities. An important point of focus is youth. Egypt's population is a very young one. Youth are the drivers of the present and future, and therefore they need to be involved very strongly in this issue. They need to learn about it and they need to be part of spreading awareness. Also, it affects them the most because they're the ones getting married. Internal migration is one of the main causes of overpopulation in Cairo. Egypt lists some 351 slums and most of them lack basic amenities, such as main sewage and water. Mohamed Abdel-Ghalil, advisor to the official statistics agency CAPMAS, explains the delicate relationship between the Egyptian economy and the increasing population. 
For the average citizen to remain where they are in terms of lifestyle and living standard, and not be affected by problems such as the increased price of goods and services, the economic growth rate must be double the natural population increase. In 2016, the economic growth rate was 4.3%, not enough to sustain the ever-growing population. One government initiative designed to address overcrowding in Cairo is the construction of a new administrative and financial capital 45 kilometers east of the city. The new currently unnamed city will house the main government buildings and foreign embassies, as well as providing housing for 5 million citizens. When complete, it's hoped that the new city will dramatically reduce the strain on the country's already overpopulated capital. Well, guys, I mean, <laughs> when it comes to overpopulation, oh, well, I mean, okay, guys, can, can I just put this into perspective? Because I don't know too much about overpopulation. Um, I know a lot of you live in cities around the world. If I could actually go to, what is it, my, um, what is it? I think I've had a couple of listeners. Big shout out to my folks out there in Hubei, Wuhan. Uh, but this, uh, this is another city within the state of Hubei, not Wuhan, but it was another one. Um, and I forgot what, God dang it, I got to hurry up to find it. But again, Wuhan, do they suffer? Okay, Yinchang, okay? Yitang, Yitang, I think it's called Yitang, okay? In Hubei. Wuhan's another city within the state of Hubei, I believe. Now, you guys, the state, I don't know if it's the state or Wuhan the city, I don't know what the population of the city is, but I think someone said 11 million. So if I actually go right here on Google, Wuhan uh, population, let's see. And if this has 11 million, see, yep, it's 11 million. So this is one of the big problems because depending on the area size of Wuhan, this is why things could be a big problem. But you know what? It's not so much about overpopulation because again, if we look at Hong Kong, they're very vertical, right? Um, so when it comes to places and cities in China, you know, a mega city is very common there. Mega city houses more than 10 million people. Very, very common there. Chongqing, um, what is it? Uh, Wuhan, obviously Shanghai, Beijing, they're housing at least 20 to 30 million, but they don't have overpopulation. See, overpopulation comes when, when, when degenerative, okay, countries, mindsets, political systems, uh, states, when they are not able to provide, let me give you an example, Lagos, Nigeria, that's overpopulation, okay? Uh, a lot of places in India, Mumbai, obviously overpopulated. The square meters of people living, you know, in each other, it's, it's, it's completely horrible. They have, they have slums that house 1 million people. Now, Cairo has 350 slums, okay? But they don't have a slum that has 1 million people. I don't believe, probably, probably. They have at least 100,000, you know what I mean? But overpopulation, this is why like during the pandemics and during a pandemic, things can spread very quickly. As you guys heard in that recording, when there's overpopulation, you look at the country's GDP, you're going to have to do double in order to sustain a living for all of those citizens in that country, you know? And so this is the way I look at it. Like, Every time when I look at, of course, my finances, building things online, I don't look at it as double anymore. I look at it as 10 times, you know, because again, if we look at it as double, that's a limiting belief. 
And this is why a lot of failed states and failed countries are always in the same position over and over. If we look at, of course, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, if we look at Gabon, we look at uh, Eritrea, uh, a few other countries out there in Africa, obviously, Bangladesh, that's, this is how Thai people say it, the Bangladesh, Bangladesh, uh, uh, you know, India, you know, I love everyone out there, but again, failed states. Now, they said, and I've, I was talking to my friend Deepa, who I really want to bring on to here. She is from Chennai, India. She's living in Cambodia. And I said, Deepa, can I, can, you ask, can I ask you something? She said, yeah. I said, because this pandemic, you told me 20 years ago that the level of poverty was, was unprecedented out there in India. But right now, how many people do you think you know, are out of work? She said, at least 85%. I said, that's more than a billion people. She said, yes, this has pushed the country to a brink. And we're not talking about unemployed, but we're talking about in poverty. In poverty, excuse me, let me rephrase myself. They're in poverty, not unemployed. Unemployment and poverty are completely two separate things. Because if you're unemployed, you're still living above that line. Unemployed out there in America, they still have somewhere to sleep. Unemployed in India, that means you're living on the street. So. When we look at different places, and this is why Cairo, this is why a Thailand is having a really big problem, but it could work in their advantage. So of course, a seventh of the population in Thailand lives in Bangkok, because this is where all the opportunity is. The government is doing nothing to, to expand. Again, this is called expanse, right? They're doing nothing to expand to the outer suburbs, the other provinces. They do not care. They do not. They're now, of course, they're connecting with high-speed rails and building tram lines and trains and whatnot, which are going to be built in over the next decade. Um, but people aren't going there. You don't hear someone saying, yeah, I'm going to go to Phuket. Yeah, I'm going to go live here. Phuket is a touristy place. Pandemic happened. That place is deserted right now. All businesses have failed. All touring businesses have failed, very similar to what had happened out there in Palau, you know, uh, because a lot of people, when, when the good gets good, you know, when the good gets going, people jump on it very quickly. But when the going gets tough, their businesses fall apart. So what happened when the pandemic happened, already failed businesses that were failing for a year, they completely shut down during this time. Language centers, schools, small businesses, startups, even juggernaut businesses, they have all fallen apart. Places that were barely hanging on for dear life were the first ones to go by the end of March. It's not because it's overpopulated, but think about it. The majority of those people that were in that similar, you know, in that situation, they hurry up and left. They went back to their hometowns, which are the other provinces. And so what's happening right now is, the, you know, is that Bangkok might be shut down for another nine to 10 weeks. Because again, Thai people, they act out of fear. And during this time, fear could possibly work, but it's going to push a lot of people to the unemployment line. Not poverty, but unemployment. Although it did push the poor people to sheer poverty because now they're standing in line to get free meals every day at different army bases, which is very unfortunate. But in saying all of that, these people, have all gone out of Bangkok right now. Bangkok, the revenue has completely gone flat. The trains that they're building right now, there are no people on those trains. People are gonna be scared to get on trains for a year. People are gonna be scared to come back here for a year. 
they think Bangkok is a cesspool of bacteria. So now everything's been pushed outside. And this could be very good because now the government's going to begin opening different provinces up uh, over the next, what, from May 1st to May 15th to May 31st. They're going to open all other provinces up except Bangkok. Bangkok and Phuket will not be open until July 1st. So all these people who are working right now, they're like, there's no need for me to be in Bangkok. So they all left. The revenue falls, but now the revenue is climbing on the outside. So the overpopulation that was happening here in the midst of all the chaos in the heart of Bangkok now has pushed possible jobs to the outskirts of Bangkok, to other states that are in desperate need, that are just over the poverty line. And now there could be greater focus in shipping people out to these other areas. See, people shouldn't have to live in Bangkok. People should be able to commute to Bangkok every day by train. People who live uh, an hour away by car should only be a 15-minute train ride. People who live two hours away should only be a 30-minute train ride. People who live three hours away, it should be a 45-minute to one-hour train ride here to Bangkok. Three hours by car is what I'm saying. Then I wouldn't live in Bangkok. I would live in a place called Changtaburi. I would live in the Central Plains in Pitsanulok. I would live down there in Wahin, which is a gorgeous resort town right there on the seaside. Get on that train at about 6 a.m., come on out here by about 5.36 p.m., take a 30 to a one-hour train ride all the way back there, and boom. This is what they should be doing right now. Focus on the entire nation, not just one city, and that's what's happening with Cairo. So, guys, we're going to be talking about, uh, the, you know, Cairo's new city and the new capital and the next one. Uh, I think there were a couple of questions that I did want to ask you, but I think I've already gone over them in general with uh, my uh, uh, speaking, speaking. So, do you think building a new city will solve the, prop uh, the problem with overpopulation? No, because it doesn't change the mindset of the people. Mindsets must be changed first before action comes after that. And then, of course, the number two is what impact do you think moving the administrative and financial centers uh, will have on both the new city and the city of Cairo? Well, if you look at Cairo right now, of course, the overcrowded depended on how many people are there, stuff like that. Building a new city is not good, but shifting jobs to the outskirts of the city would be very, very good. Obviously, having a real transportation city is also great. Now, I want to give you a nice little juxtaposition here. In Cairo, there are cars. In Cairo, there are cars, motorcycles, traffic jams everywhere. There is an Independence Day celebration in Reykjavik. I don't even know if I said that right, but it's in Iceland. And all of these people are walking on the street. There is not one sight of a car or anything in the picture. Iceland and all the Nordic countries are some of the best in the world in terms of environment, in terms of being proactive, in terms of health even in terms of dealing with pandemics. They've almost already fully recovered already. Quietly, of course. It's completely different from Cairo, which of course all that overpopulation is happening at this moment. So guys, that is a very long podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please let me know and I'll be waiting for more. Come back for the next one. Over and out.